AMARC Africa. So, folks, if you care about your community, you can show it by caring for KPFT 90.1 FM. Thanks for making the attitude with Arnie Arneson part of the KPFT political talk. We love sharing the heat and the light. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Thank you so much for tuning in to another installment of the Latino Literary Renaissance. This is Tony Diaz, Libre Traficante, and we have a full house. I'm going to have the crew go around and, and give their names because some of them will be making their audio debut today. They've been working behind the scenes diligently, seem, making some seamless broadcast material, and today they'll be helping with some of the interviews. Letitia Lopez. This is Joe Anthony. Joe Anthony. Libre Traficante, Alexis Sorto. And this is Malu here. What's going on, everybody? 
Nice. And of course, that's what Nuestra Palabra, KPFT 90.1 FM, is about. We're promoting our writers. Some of them are already established legends. Some of them are new. And we're also making sure that we groom a deep bench of radio broadcast aficionados and experts. That's what they're going to do. Now, we're going to switch up our rundown just a little bit. Typically, we start off with our soapbox, and then we dive into our interviews Today, we're going to have our first interview with Alfredo Corchado, who I will read a little bit, a little bit about him in just a bit, although he needs no introduction. And then and Thank then you. we're going to have our soapbox, and then we'll get to our second guest, Dan Hyun Kilbasa, who's going to talk about Kung Fu consciousness. But Alfredo joins us on the air right now. I think you're on the phone. Are you there, Alfredo? I'm on the phone, Tony. Hey, it's fantastic. been a while. It's been a while. Que gusto saludarte de nuevo. Of course, you're a dear friend of the show, and we'll be telling folks when they can meet you in Houston in September. There's a possible another date, but let me just remind folks, of course, that you are one of the leading journalists writing about the real deal, how this border really worked and has worked. You are a border Mexican border correspondent for the Dallas Morning News. You're author of the powerful book, Midnight in Mexico, a reporter's journey through a country's descent into darkness. You were born in Durango, Mexico. Durango! Raised in, Cali- <laughs> so, raised in California and Texas. You've worked in the fields of California alongside your parents, who were members of the United Farm Workers Union, led by Cesar Chavez. You began your career in journalism at the El Paso Herald Post before working for the Wall Street Journal. You're a Neiman Woodrow Wilson Rockefeller Lannan U.S. Mexican IOP Fellow and the winner the Muir Morris Cabot Prize and Elijah Paris Lovejoy Award for Courage in Journalism. Because your life has been threatened as well, but you still insist on telling the truth. You're former director of the Borderlands Program at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism at Arizona State University. You reported on the reach of Mexican drug cartels in the U.S., the plight of Mexican and Central American immigrants in the U.S., government corruptions on both sides of the border. You were inducted into the Texas Institute Letters. Uh, I'm sorry, Institute of Letters in 2018. You live in El Paso and Mexico City, but you call the border home. We're celebrating your newest book, Homelands. Welcome back to Nuestra Palabra, Alfredo. My pleasure to be back, Tony. Thanks for the uh, long introduction. <laughs> well, man, this is like one-tenth of everything that you've done as well. And the, I, I, I feel like I'm in my way. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it would take us an hour to read all the awards, so we're not going to get to that. But uh, congratulations on the new book, too, though. That, that really is Thank wonderful. you. We're, we're a week away from, from launching it. Uh, it's, it's called Homeland. And it's really the, the story, the, the narrative, it really begins right before midnight in Mexico. Uh, so I, I tell people it's uh, it's really a story about the Mexico within the U.S. The prequel. And, and, and I do love that you translate it through the experiences of folks because that's – I kind of feel what we're doing now in that obviously you're one of the leading journalists so you can acquire the facts and knowledge, et cetera. But I think we're translating it through our skins. Why did you want to choose the approach that you picked? And tell folks a little more about it. Well, it's a it's a story of four friends, uh, three decades, two countries. It's uh, four individuals who met up one wintry night in Philadelphia, and we really thought we were the only Mexicans in the area. Uh, <laughs> we were, you know, we, we were homesick, we were lonely, and we got together. We found this place called Tequila, um, and we thought, wow. You know, we're, we're, we're coming in together. We asked 
a question that night that I think has haunted us for the past 30 years now, which is how do we fit in to the United States? And it was, it was a, I guess, the ideal place. I mean, Philadelphia, given its history, uh, where the independence of, uh, of the Constitution was, was signed, the founders of the country came together. So this is something that uh, we, we've, we've talked about since. Uh, one of the friends is, a, is an activist, uh, an immigrant activist, who was very instrumental in giving or helping Mexicans abroad the right to vote. And then another one is a lawyer who also ran for mayor two years ago in Philadelphia. He, he later dropped out of, out of of the race. In a in a restaurant, tequila connoisseur. I think every journalist, every writer needs to have a tequila connoisseur friend because <laughs> you you need that inspiration. And this guy knows everything about mezcal, knows everything about tequila. Uh, I always thought, you know, if uh, if I was ever to write a book. It, it was a story about these four friends, but really the largest story are the millions of immigrants in this country who come in to the United States. It's, you know, it's known as uh, the melting pot, but really they bring in their, their new homeland and their old homeland. And we're really, I guess we embody uh, where we're from and, and who we are now. I love that. And a very important question because I, I feel that even though you hear a lot about immigration and, and some other issues, we're never really thought about profoundly, and especially as professionals, intellectuals. I think your book does that. Was that something you were going for, or you're just surrounded by cool <laughs> you know, uh, progressives and, and cool professionals? I think like many of us are, but if you were to look at, television news you don't always see us so did that just kind of happen or were you trying to convey us that way it kind of happened because i i didn't think i would write you know about these guys and mm. then suddenly you realize wait a minute we just celebrate our 10th anniversary wait a minute we celebrated the 20th anniversary and then you see uh, you know where the the path that everyone took and where we are now and our search to become part of, of the mainstream of America, if there is such a thing as a mainstream of America. And then, you know, I mean, this happened, I, I think it's important to to say it, it happened before there was a candidate Trump or a President Trump. Uh, I mean, the story really took off more than two years ago. Obviously, in the times we live in today, uh, I think the narrative has become a little more urgent in that people are, you know, we're asking ourselves, Again, you know, how do we fit into this country? Where do we fit in? Do we even fit in? And and so I think that sense of urgency kind of kind of has taken over in in, in the last uh, year or so. And I'm glad you point that out because it almost sounds as if you wrote it for our time. <laughs> almost, no, you know, <laughs> it fits so perfectly. But but I think you were anticipating these urgent questions that we've always had to address, needed to be the address, but like like you allude to, have been heightened by by the election of, well, well how about this, especially the rhetoric, uh, you know, here we are having a discussion about these uh, deep intellectual issues for Latinos and, and humans in general, and of course, you know, uh, a few days back you had the Border Patrol agent in Montana pulling over two Latinas and asking for their papers because they were speaking Spanish, um, and that's not done often in Montana. So you would totally boggle the minds of those two border agents, I'm sure, 
you know, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, no, it was really boggled. It really boggled my mind to see that. Uh, also, just a couple of weeks ago, I was in the middle of the Rio Grande in El Paso, Texas, right next to Ciudad Juarez, and watching these families uh, who've been separated, not just by you know the, the deportations under President Trump, but also under President Obama, people coming together for four minutes. I think that that was uh, the limit. You know, they have four minutes to say hi to one another, give each other a hug. We saw a lot of tears. But you see these incredible moments that we're living in today. And I think someday we're going to look back and say, what what happened? I mean, mm. who were we as as a people, as, as Americans? I mean, where do, where do we veer off from these ideal values that we hold as a country? So so one of the questions in, in regards to the uh, border agents was there was, um, I guess, an interview uh, regarding, like, the border agents that were first generation that – used to cross over the border and now you know they be they became like border agents and i guess the frame of mind the mentality of protecting this border and at the same time kind of um almost forgetting or or knowing who like the the people coming from mexico what they think like and talking their language and some of them being corrupt so how do, how did you come about our what was your experience in hearing from these um, agents that that were suddenly like on one side of a natural naturalized citizen that had become a citizen and was protecting this border and having to basically um, cut off um, entrance for anyone that could be just like them? You're talking about the, the Montana incident or just in general the Border Patrol agents? Because, I mean, I think when you live on the border, as, as I do now, um, the federal government is a real magnet you know, to, to provide jobs. And many of the agents who I know as, as a reporter and even as, a, as, as an El Pasoan, um, many of them are first generation. Many of them are immigrants. I mean, I, I, I know a few who were born in either Juarez or, or Chihuahua. And I don't want to generalize, but there is a sense that it's almost like they, they, they need to try harder. They want to really prove that they are Americans. Uh, it's, it's a real conundrum that, that I see. I mean, you know, on a, on a daily basis when I'm crossing from Ciudad Juarez back to El Paso, uh, it, it goes through my mind. And I, and I, and I wrote about this in, in a piece that I did for the New Yorker a few years ago, how sometimes if you're Mexican, or you're Mexican-American, you're hoping that the agent at the border crossing is not a Mexican-American because they're going to harass you a little more. They're going to ask you more questions. I mean, they really want to try to, I guess, in my mind, prove that they really do belong in this country. Yeah. Well, especially post-Trump, you have the president accusing a federal judge, uh, Judge Curiel, of not being able to preside over the lawsuit for Trump University. Uh, because he's Mexican, implying that he would have different interests than other folks. You know, n- never mind that he was, you know, born in the U.S. So that I mean, born in Indiana, I think, <laughs> Indiana, <laughs> of all places. So you you've really had your finger on a pulse of issues that have come to pass. So I think, and actually, your life is this interesting, um, I think, metaphor for what's going on because you are there on the border, talk, looking at both sides and. And, of course, you have to look at it as a journalist. At the same time, 
here here we are. We're looking forward to celebrating you on uh, September 21st. You'll be part Thank of you. the Latino Leaders Luncheon, and we'll be honoring you, which is exciting. Here in Houston, we'll be telling folks more about that as, as that draws closer, but we're excited about that and, and, and well-merited. But you, you asked a great question earlier, too. Um, I, Of course, you're, you're writing a book different than the answer about to ask, but you asked, hey, what is our space in this uh in this time and era and you scared me a little because i didn't think about that maybe there's not a place for us uh maybe we're asking for something that is out of the ordinary um what, what are your general thoughts on that i mean i'm not gonna uh sugarcoat this i mean i think uh, there's a lot of people i know friends i uh, family members who i think after president trump was elected they really felt like they didn't belong in this country, and maybe they wanted to go back to Mexico, or they felt like they needed to go back to Mexico. Uh, there was a commercial that uh, they started airing after the election from uh, when you feel, you know, we're not going to get up, we're not going to leave, we're going to stay. And I think a lot of people feel that way, and the only way that you can really express that is at the voting booth. Um, I hope that we, as Mexican-Americans, you know, Whoever you vote for, whether it's Republican or Democrat, but I hope that uh, the power of the vote is is felt, you know, and and the midterm elections or general elections, uh, and that we take a page from California because I think California was really where a lot of these answers really began. You know, you 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 dehumanize a certain segment of the population, and and what did they do? I mean, they 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 bounced back. They said, you know, we're going to be taken seriously as a voting block, and they turned out as and, and began voting. I really hope that that's, that's the answer because you can also cannot romanticize Mexico. I mean, Mexico, as beautiful as it is and as much as I love Mexico, I mean, Mexico has its own problems. I, I, I'm trying to get to Houston before September, but we have a July 1st election, and we don't know where that, you know, where Mexico is going to be after July 1st. So there's, I think there's work in both countries that we as Mexican Americans, as immigrants, you know, there's a lot of challenges that we face, and we have to uh, sort of get get to the plate and 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 stand our ground. Man, you're bringing up so many fantastic issues. I know you do have to get on to your next meeting. I do appreciate you calling. I'm going to ask you two questions. You can just run through them, or just answer the one sure. that you have time for. Um, the the second one, which will be easy, is you mentioned you might be coming to town in July, so perhaps you can give us the status of that or when you'll know about it and you'll be the first oh awesome yes yes <laughs> and we really appreciate you talking about homelands before it's even released so that means a lot to us and then the other the other uh question too is what are your thoughts on the impending election in mexico which is not being talked about a, i i don't want to say it all but it's not being talked about a lot here in the u.s no, it's not. And uh, we have a, a story in tomorrow's Dallas Morning News. Uh, we did a poll with Reforma, uh, one of the leading newspapers in, in Mexico City, and with the University of North Texas, that here we are almost a month away from the elections. And uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who's a left-leaning candidate, the more the populist candidate, is up by 17 points. This may be the first time in almost 100 years that you won't have the Institutional Revolutionary Party, or the opposition conservative PAN in power. And that's going to, I think, you know, open a whole new 
set of dynamics for for both countries, especially for Texas. I mean, no other no other state is as integrated with Mexico economically, culturally, even it's and on some levels politically as Texas. So there's a lot riding for Texans in, in the next 30 days or so. And and with a candidate who wrote the book, Oya Trump, uh, on top of, on top yeah. of things. So you're right, the dynamics going to be different. We're going to give Alexis, who's one of our interns who we've promoted. He won, he's dying to ask you one question, if you've got time. Sure. I'm, I'm right. near death. Um, my main question, um, what I really wanted to uh, talk to you about, I wanted to, um, you to elaborate more on, um, you know, you brought up the point of how the political state has been within these 100 years. And you say, um, you brought up the point also, uh, who are we, you know, as a, as, an, as a Mexican people? So my question to you is, um, would you say, um, like, the younger generations, I would say, because really it's, it's coming up to our hands. Would you say um, the we like Mexicans have lost their identity due to like the Americanization of the people, like trying to you know settle life and get used to living life in America? Would you say the identity of Mexico Mexican people have has been lost, you know, living here in America? You know, I think that it goes both ways. I mean, I think you you can look at a place like Houston, a place like El Paso, Chicago, and and so many other cities. And people will say we become so Mexicanized, and yet I will go to Mexico City and walk around my neighborhood of La Condesa, or as I just did, I you know you drive around Guanajuato, and you hear so much English. I mean, it's so American. Yeah. I think in the end we we are so integrated in both ways that uh, whether we like it or not, I mean, we can't really um, look away from that. That we are Americanized and we're Mexicanized on both sides of the border. Mm. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, True. thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for all the work that we do. You do. And we can't wait to read Homelands for the whole community and have you do a huge reading here or book signing. Gracias, Alfredo. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Can't wait. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Hey, dear listeners, that was Alfredo Corchado giving us a sneak preview of his upcoming book. We're very excited and honored that he did that for us, Homelands, which is due out in June. Of course, he mentioned that we'll be the first to know when he comes in July, when that's on. That'd be nice. And, of course, everyone is more than welcome to, to get to the Latino Leaders Luncheon Friday, September 21st. Of course, we'll keep you on top of that. But that's what you expect from Nuestra Palabra. Hey, congratulations to Leti and Alexis, who are make, <laughs> making the debut as interviewers. Nice job, guys. I don't know how you do this, man. I was I was nervous. I was, in, I was a wreck. That's a great feeling, though. <laughs> don't you love that intellectual adrenaline? Oh, yes. <laughs> Where's my place? <laughs> so we're going to take a little musical break, and we're going to come back with our soapbox, because we've got about... Four or five issues that we have to throw in there. These are just the four or five we can get through. There's about 200 issues. So those are just the five we can get through this time around, including the death of a young 20-year-old at the hands of Border Patrol, speaking of Border Patrol agents. But right now we do a musical break, check our notes, hit the soapbox, and then we'll be back with Don talking about Kung Fu consciousness after that. You're experiencing Nota Palabra, Latino Reddit. Have to say out here.
You're back. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra. Latino writers having their say. We are live on 90.1 FM. KPFT transmitting at 100,000 watts. However, there are some folks that may be tuning into this later on when it is a podcast at kpft.org for two weeks. Or perhaps they've had it uh, on their podcast, on their podcast list, because we then load some of those podcasts to Nuestra Palabra. Org, or it may be years later. Perhaps I'm addressing myself in the future and I'm playing this for a class because the University of Houston Digital Archives is keeping this forever. Or perhaps I'm reading this out loud to a classroom because our hard copy archives are kept at the Hispanic Archives. But that interview with Alfredo Cochardo, I am glad that is safe for history. Really smart individual, but also engaging writer and, and down-to-earth guy and really doing a lot of incredible things. The last thing I want to say about that, I mean, I want to say a lot more, but I think because he is a journalist too, he has to he has to write in a way that's going to captivate people. And what's great is in a novel, in, in a book form, um, longer length, he, he can use a different voice as well. So I'm going to pause there because we've got some serious issues to address. I do want to lead off by saying that it is a terrible loss to our community and family that a 20-year-old Claudia Gomez Gonzalez was murdered by Border Patrol agents. There was a vigil for her yesterday here in Houston as well as different parts of the country. If you did not know about this, you should know that at first Border Patrol agents that they had fired upon a group of people because they were attacked with blunt objects they later change their stories i want to remind folks again regardless of where you stand on immigration here's an example of what's happening on the border to folks without a trial without body cameras are they going to trust the witnesses is there even the same sort of legal recourse for people who are crossing the border as there are for folks on this side of the border it's one of the travesties but this is also in the context of President Trump sending National Guard to the border based on – I wish it was based on policy. To me, it seems based on stereotypes and fantasies, which, again, are not helping. And you even had the the union of Border Patrol agents. Again, I have no idea why unions are voting for union busters, but uh, evidently there's uh, the union of Border Patrol agents, and they sent Donald Trump a note saying that the troops that they were sending were not helping. They were doing redundant redundant tasks instead of helping alleviate what's going on down there. I don't even have time to delve further into that. I do want to remind folks that in the past you had Marines who had killed uh, Ezekiel Hernandez on the border as well. And, of course, you had recently, um, last year, when a Border Patrol agent was attacked on the border. And first you heard it was cartels, and you heard it was because of the job. Then you heard that it was not cartels. He was not attacked. It was an accident. Again, here, here we're talking about human lives. Yes, we know people are scared and want to be safe. Everyone wants to be safe. But can, can we lose our humani- humanity at the basis of it. I know you wanted to bring up some some other issues as well. Yes, actually, um, yesterday, uh, Mar- May 28th, marks the first uh, anniversary of John Hernandez's death. And uh, the trials have been moved 
As we all know, the trial for Shauna Thompson is now scheduled to begin October 9th. And for Terry, it's now scheduled to begin June 8th. So if anybody has been keeping up with that, that's one of the new trial dates. Um, and this is for the, the for young John man who was, who was killed. At Denny's uh, last year in Webster. So that's still an ongoing issue. Um, again, we don't. We weren't there. We really don't know what happened. The trial is set to begin, and all we hope is for justice to be served for all parties involved. But I think, in in the context of our last interview too, it seems that we're in an era where people are dismissing our community as humans, and it seems to be that we're not being treated just as second class, but as less than human. Which again, do we have to bring up that the president called? Us animals, we have to bring up that the president has villainized our communities, that the president says that we're, we come from, now I have to say it carefully, S whole countries. And again, the, the naming and how we're perceived is vital. Wish we, we could spend three shows on all these topics. I'm going to move it to the next topic tomorrow as part of a nationwide campaign. I'm sorry, Texas-wide campaign. Six cities will have press conferences to launch the campaign where we are Mexican-American and proud. We are demanding that the Texas State Board of Education change back the name to our field of studies to Mexican-American Studies. There will be several events, including in Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, of course, Houston, and other cities. Other cities are jumping on board. Our event in town will take place tomorrow at 1.30 p.m., at the Association for the Advancement of Mexican-Americans right there on I-45. They have Mexican-American in the name. And this all goes back to the whole issue that Texas State Board of Education did something right by acknowledging the level of intellect in our field of study, but then they they defeated it. They, they, they basically took two steps back when one of the board representatives, a Republican, demanded that they change the name from Mexican-American Studies to ethnic studies, an overview of Americans of Mexican descent. And there's so many things wrong with that. On a bigger issue, it fits into this whole idea of how we're being perceived as other than human, other than having our own right to our own history, other than being as treated as Americans. And on top of it, the, the biggest insult to me is that here we are for decades coming up with the name of our field of study, dedicating our lives to it, and in a half hour, this guy comes up with some name that he pulled out of the air that doesn't even make sense and changes the name of our field of study. That is unacceptable. They must continue to recognize our intellect and approve the courses as they've done already. They've recognized the intellect, but they need to change the name back to keep it uh, a correct name. Again, we'll keep you posted on that. June 12th, there will be people going to Texas State Board of Education in Austin. We're taking a bus from Houston. And, of course, we'll be leaving early, 5 a.m., to get to the protest in Austin at 9 a.m. And that day they'll talk about this. I'd like to dive deeper into that, but we can't. We have other issues as well. I mean, we've got about five. We can't even get to it. We're running out of time. We do want to get to our guests because we gave our commitment to promote our writers, our community – we're going to have to stick to that, but we're getting overwhelmed. Uh, there's about five issues. Pick one. Okay. Um, the one I want to talk about is Roseanne. Oh, As you know, her goodness. show was going to come back on. Well, uh, today I saw an article where her show was canceled by ABC 
for a tweet she did, or she wrote rather, on Valerie Jarrett. And what her tweet says... Don't... Yeah, all right. Well, I, sh- I guess you should say it. It's a terrible... I mean, it's, it's just, very it's unfortunate that someone at her level would say something like this. I mean, do you know how many people follow her, her you know, fans, people that look up to her? And this is a direct quote. And this was in the article, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. And she said that she was the product of the Muslim Brotherhood and the Planet of the Apes. To me, there are so many wrong things of that. I mean, regardless of how you feel, there is freedom of religion in this country. And to compare someone to Planet of the Apes is so wrong. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't even say that about my worst enemy. And, and it's it's stunning that ABC acted so fast. Too. Well, actually, there's a statement from ABC, and this is what it says. Roseanne's Twitter statement is abhorrent, repugnant, and inconsistent with our values, and we have decided to cancel our show. So I applaud ABC for that because that shows that they're, regardless of how popular her show could be and the ratings, they are not going to back her up on something like this. But I, I think even though we didn't set out to have a common theme, perhaps these particular instances we brought up were the most egregious and offensive because there seems to be a whole movement to talk about our communities and just say the most vile things. Exactly. And, and it's not just about the Hispanic community. No, not it's, at all. It's in general. I mean, exactly. This our African-American perfect, brothers and sisters, those are Muslim brothers and sisters. Perfect example right here. And honestly, it needs to stop. And people who are in that type of situation where they're, they're popular, they're famous, they're stars, they're, that's where it should begin. Because so many young people look up to them. And, and I guess we can segue with this. I really love what we do. Because we have this space to to get our, our our voices out, I bring that up. That's the good side. The bad side is I'm wondering how many of these far right stations or alternative, um, you know, reality uh, portals are going to pick her up now because of that. Because she's proven herself to them. Again, I, I'm just speculating here. Because well, we'll just have to see. We'll have to see. I'm just glad that. Uh, I mean, I'm not glad that her show was canceled because you know. I, to be on, to be honest, that's her job, but the fact that it was canceled for this particular reason that there seems to be a limit. It seems exactly. to be a limit as exactly. to far, how far people can go, and because it seems that people have been testing that limit. And you know, I'm all for freedom of speech. I'm all for freedom of speech, your opinions or what have you. But there is a fine line that you 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 can't cross. Oh, and I'm all for freedom of speech because I want to know what people are saying under. I want to know who's under the white hood. I want to know what they're saying when they're at their own clan meetings. However, at a private business, we—that's fine. You mean you could, you could serve whatever you want. It doesn't mean we have to eat it. Correct. It doesn't have to mean we I have agree. to eat it. And we decided we're going to pass on that dish. And uh, yeah, so like I said, it, I'm I'm willing to hear you out. Just don't throw anything racist at me, whether it's about me, my nationality, or anyone else. Simple as that. And at the end of the day, that's really what we want is to promote intellect, culture, and keep people talking back and forth in positive, in positive ways. Yes. So uh, on that note, we are going to be bringing on our next guest. He is uh, Don Juan Kilbasa, and I think we have him on the air. I hear a little buzz in the background. We're going to skip the song, I think, because so we got a little more box time in there. We ran our soapbox a little too long, so we couldn't jam out. Hey, Don, are you there? 
What's up, brother? How you doing? Hey, hermano. Great, great to chat with you. I'm so glad that you can join us to the magic of telephony. Let me tell folks <laughs> a little bit about you. Uh, you really are a fantastic public speaker. You've presented hundreds of presentations all over the country. You're dynamic, engaging, and you can keep people spellbound, and you treat everyone the same, be it five students to 5,000 CEOs. You're a gold medalist for the 2008 United States Wushu team. Very, very advanced form of martial arts. And, of course, after winning gold, you caught the attention of Warner Brothers games and its martial arts motion capture model in some of the biggest action video games in history, including, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Mortal Kombat, Scorpion, and Sub-Zero. By the way, the interns are, are clapping. <laughs> and Injustice. Batman and Flash. You're also the author of the Discover Your Dragon series, a very fantastic collection of prose which translate martial arts principles for character development and strategy. It's required reading in several schools across the country. On top of that, as if the physicality were not enough and, of course, your ability to perform Licensed CPA, what? That is right. <laughs> With the focus on real estate law, corporate law, estate planning, and tax law. Over the past 12 years, you've been an attorney. You've managed thousands of commercial and residential real estate transactions. Today, I wanted to bring that up, too, because I think a lot of times when folks think about ethnic studies or writers, they think that there's no practical application for those for those skills you, you prove us wrong, brother. Hermano, thank you so much for joining us on the air. Great to talk to you again. What's up, pretty boy? Thanks for making time, baby. Hey, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> and we got to hang out over there in Califas, in California, for the Sacramento State Ethnic Studies Conference. So I got to see you in action, in your element, and it was thrilling. But we said, hey, we got to yeah. get you on there. We got to get you to Texas. So right now, as, as we interview you, I want people to listen. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Much respect to all the Latinos out there listening to your thing, man. Much respect. I'm Korean, guys, but it's all you Latino brothers and sisters out there, man. Much respect to you guys. You're doing your thing. Y habla español. Don't habla español. Más o menos. Ya aprendí en la calle. Pero se defiende. Se defiende. And I'm really hoping that that folks who are tuning in either now or on the podcast or, or as it's archived get inspired for two things. One, of course, to get you down here to Texas or, or wherever they may be listening from. But more than anything, Don, I think you're proof that when we talk about ethnic studies, it's really where once we have a really good sense of ourselves, we're looking to build bridges and looking for commonalities. Would you say that, would you say that that's a, a principle that, that you believe in? Yeah, absolutely, man. So here's where I'm at. You know, at the end of the day, uh, I own a law firm, CPA firm. I also still, I'm actively signed to Warner Brothers. I do some of the big action projects. But I'm really a character builder and a team builder. Uh, last month, I think I'm ranked number 10 in the state in what I do, right, respectively as an attorney, uh, in volume of transactions, right? And my goal is to try to find the best vis-a-vis -vis diversity, whether you're American whether you're African, whether you're Latino. And I, I want to just tell you two quick stories, and I hope it inspires some of you guys out there. And if you guys are amazing, I'm on the hunt looking for my next great person that I'm looking to develop. So, you know, back when I first went to Latin America, this was like 2003, down in Colombia, right? 
I, I, one of the things I really respect about the Latino people is you have, like, the explorer gene in you. You guys know how to go out there and find stuff. So I had a Colombian family that I was living with out there. And at the time, Colombia was a rough place to live. So, hey, Tony, can I teach you a little uh, Chinese? Please. <laughs> okay, you know how you guys say with your accent, uh, Chicago? <laughs> yeah. You know, in Mandarin, it's Jijagu. Jijagu. There you go, Jijagu. Chicago in Mandarin is Jijagu. So I got a bunch of my Colombian brothers, and I was like, look, why are you guys going to stay in Colombia? Let me get you guys all jobs in China. In China at the time, Spanish speakers were really in high demand, right? No kidding. They hate us no here. No kidding. Just kidding. But no, I mean. No, this, man. This, you this, kidding? These guys are the most popular dudes in town. No way. Wait, wait. Are they hiring right now? I know. I'm full of bilingual. <laughs> so, so just to give you an example, in Colombia, they would make around $20,000. I, I think today they've all secured mid-six-figure jobs at this wow. point in time, right? And they have no Chinese education, but they speak Spanish and English. Turn me out. Wait till I get to the point, right? So these guys all went over to China. They went to a city called Wuhan. And they became so well-connected. They're the life of the party. Everybody loves them, right? And they had that explorer gene, and they essentially conquered their area, right? Do you know today I'm trying to bring them back to the United <laughs> States to work on real estate deals with me, Right. Because these dudes went out there and they explored. They do what the Latino cultures do best. You guys are explorers. You guys go out there. You guys navigate. You guys find new things, right? And it's awesome seeing us now bring my real estate development deals to them because now they're bringing Chinese capital and investments to me. Those type of bridges and relationships that I've created over the past 15, 20 years have really helped catapult my career in a, in a time of stagnant growth amongst American law firms, I've come in and I've had tremendous monumental growth. And it's not because I'm amazing. Sorry about my dog. No, it's not, not at all. I'm amazing. It's because I look to those bridges from different cultures to develop, such as the Colombians. Now I'm looking to, you know, the Africans, right? I've, I've just promoted my first African partner, right? And, you know, it's amazing seeing these cultures come together, and that's how we beat people. That's how we get better. We start teaming. We start creating those bridges. So, brother, I appreciate your comment and what you said. No, and what I, what I love, too, that you are showing us how there's economic, cultural, even friendship that, that can really blossom from all these different uh, influences. And I think also there's people that are scared of borders and changes, but you've just shown us one way. That, that can be so positive and powerful. And again, there's folks that think, okay, ethnic studies is touchy-feely. They're all going to starve. You just proved. Now, if, if, you, if the humanitarian part ain't enough for you, folks are making money. <laughs> you know, this Absolutely. Look, look my, my rate of return speaks for itself. But let's go there. Let's talk about the touchy-feely. Brother, do you know I can train because of, like, technology and automation most of the people that I've trained and turned them into all-stars had zero experience in what I do for a living, right? Historically speaking, people would go to school and learn stuff, and they become a better engineer or a better doctor, a better attorney, right? Guys, with the software that's out today, I can take a person who has zero experience and turn them into a top-level paralegal. What I need is someone who's good with people, right? Like, the next person who I was trying to develop is a, is a Latino who had zero experience in what I did, but she understood the principles of marketing and being a good person. Because you do those two things, 
the customers will follow. Harvard Business Review quotes that there's two basic ways that businesses have powers right now. You either have the customer base or innovation, right? You either control the customer or you control ideas, right? So a lot of people now who are good people, that's what draws people to trust and invest in businesses. I love it. And also, I think the other thing I want to add, too, is we've gone to the economic side. We've crossed you know, we've crossed several continents. Forget just country borders. But you do have a very basic approach as well. You kind of touched on it right there. I think the series that you're working on is a really great way to give teachers and young people. I really hope that a lot of young people pick up your books because – you provide step-by-step ways. Now, of course, they want you to come to their school or, or talk to the district because of Mortal Kombat, of course, obviously. Yep. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so feel free to drop some of that in there you know, as we chat a little bit. But I really do think that uh, your series is a very practical way to step-by-step get to the, the, these, these high levels that you're talking about. Yeah, so you know what's, well, no, what's cool? So there's essentially three steps in my program. I don't teach step in two and three public. That's just for people who are in one of my internal organizations, uh, one of my companies, right? But step one is something I want everybody to know. The reason why I wrote a book, I, I don't take any profits from it. I reinvested back in communities, the 501c3. But I did it because I was noticing I would have these huge lines at the Comic-Con. And some of the people that were coming up to me, they had serious social-emotional issues. So I wanted to write a book that translated the character development portion of martial arts in a very practical way that anybody could use in life and business. So that's how Discover Your Dragon was born. Then it, it, lighter fluid got through on it when I started teaming up with people in the school district. You know, the guys like Dale, the guys like you, the guys who really understand that I genuinely want people to use these things, not as motivation. I am not a motivational speaker. I'm a strategist. I want to teach people who come from absolutely nothing, who are working with absolutely nothing, to take what they have and propel themselves to a place that minimizes their weakness and amplifies their strength. I love it. Now, do me a favor. Give some websites out that folks can follow up with what, what you're talking about and maybe get copies of your book or maybe get you to come visit their corporation or school. Guys, the easiest way to find my book is just through Amazon, Discover Your Dragon. And if you want to check me out to have me do like a talk or have me come in and do anything, uh, the best way, our most high-traffic volume way to catch me is www.chicagorealestateatty.com. So a lot of people go through that website to get in contact with me. But listen, what, what, I, I don't know how much time I have with you guys. I just want to tell you, the voice that you guys represent, it's really amazing watching you guys do what you do. And just keep doing it because you guys never know that voice that you have, it's giving that voice to a lot of people who can't speak, and it's dope watching you see you guys do your thing. Love it. I appreciate that, brother. Now, Marlene, she's one of our producers. She's usually behind the scenes, but, hey, mm-hmm. we're like, yo, Don's pushing us to, to, to go above and beyond. So, hey, she's about to do one of her, her, her first questions. Hi, Don. A uh, quick question for you. The, the Discover Your Dragon, uh, is there like a specific age limit or is it for anybody in general? Because I know from what you're, you're telling us, you want us to kind of look inside and bring out the best in us. But, you know, a lot of times kids who are like in 
elementary school, middle school, they get bullied, their self-esteem is down. Would this be something they could be they could read, or would it be for somebody like in high school, college, someone around our age, an adult? Well, generally speaking, um, generally speaking, I would say it, our sweet spot is for middle school people. And uh, I, I just want to like reword something. So I'm not really trying to motivate them. I'm not trying to bring anything out of them. What I'm trying to do is show them a blueprint. If you do these certain character traits, you will succeed at whatever it is. So I'm trying to show them a blueprint. Like the art of war that Sun Tzu wrote was not trying to get people pumped up. It, this was a path on, look, you engage in my way, you're going to win. And it worked. Um, I mean, my track record kind of speaks for itself. But if you look at most top professional players or top like generals, top business owners, most of them in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by Sun Tzu and the art of war. I just did it in a different way to reflect the audience of modern day. Um, and it's historically meant for middle school kids, uh-huh. but I've got readers of all ages. And, of course, you know, he sounds like he could be on radio. He looks like yes. he could be an anchorman. He's got, you know, <laughs> he's got the credentials. You can say, okay... But if you if you read his book, he he was actually training with the Shaolin. Now I don't know if all listeners understand what that means. Tell folks a little bit about that. We still got about five minutes, which I wish we had five hours. But hey, folks, okay, are gonna have to sh- invite you down so here. The interesting thing about martial arts, right? It's a very low barrier of entry. It's a poor man's sport, right? Guys, when I was on a come up on the north side of Chicago, I went to the Chicago public school system. You know, we really didn't have any equipment or any of that other stuff to be doing <laughs> that wealthier sports, right? So, guys, Shaolin is one of the largest orphanages in China. China has, like, there was a time there was a one-child policy. So what is a cool way to keep everybody active and in line when you got a bunch of people with very few teachers, martial arts, right? So you teach a lot of the kids martial arts, and the, the temple was a place that cultivated martial arts for thousands of years, right? It's one of the oldest martial arts schools in the world. And, um, you know, it, was really, it wasn't really focused on killing people. It was focused on ways to develop them. You know, it was a quasi-education homeschooling, right? And it was a way that you worked out, you learned martial arts, you had a trick, you had a trade, and then you went out and got your hustle on. I love it. This is my CPA talking. Okay, <laughs> man. That's a, you know, I learned a lot today. <laughs> you know, that's what, it's funny when most uh, when most people see me come in and film. Uh, you know, I, I still film with some of the big studios. I, you know, I'm walking outside because I just threw out my back three weeks ago on like a big project. But uh, when they find out that uh, you know about my law firm and CPA, it's really funny watching all the other people react to it. I can I can imagine. So, so as as we close out, what are some of the future projects that we can keep an eye out for, or maybe try and collaborate with you with right now? Because it sounds like you got so, a lot on the table. You know what I'm really trying to do, brother, right now is uh, first of all, I cannot name my currently filming project. I have non disclosure agreements Dang. with all the big studios, but so I, I can't say any of those. But what I will say is my big goal right now um, is to really do my best. Black, white. Latino, Asian, I'm looking for all-stars to develop, right? Like, if you look at my progression and my company, right, I began growing exponentially when I stopped focusing on the success of myself and I started experiencing success through the success of others, development of others, right? 
And when I started taking that approach, all of a sudden my numbers skyrocketed exponentially out the stratosphere. And I do that because I want to see others succeed. When I find the people with the right character, with the right hunger, and the right confidence, I want to develop them. That's what's up. Hey, hermano, great to chat with you. Keep us posted. And as soon as you can reveal those projects, hey, I hope we're one of the first to find out. <laughs> Pretty boy, what happened to the Rockets, baby? I oh, well, oh, man, this ain't no sports. You heard me crying. No, man. Oh, <laughs> man. It was the ref's was fault. <laughs> you, it was the Ted oh. Cruz curse. You didn't hear about the Ted Cruz curse? It's Ted Cruz's man. fault. That's what happened. I was all hyped. <laughs> it was rigged. It was rigged. I was rigged. jersey last night. And then I, I, I was like, oh. Only way I'm going to get over it is when the Astros repeat. That's the only way I'm going to get over this. <laughs> listen, guys, you guys keep doing your thing. God bless all of you guys over there. And remember, listen, um, you know, there's always that person who, if they're listening to you, that the, the slightest little words that you give them might change the way they live their lives. So keep up the good work. All right, guys? Um, gracias. Likewise. Look forward to talking to you, All too. right, guys. Hey, that is our fr- a friend, a new friend of the radio show, Donald Quinn Kilbasa. You can find out more about him by looking up, up Discover the Dragon Within. And hey, great show, Marlon. You guys did a great job. Everybody on the, all, all the producers got, got some questions in. They're working the bag now. Before we leave, <laughs> we did get some information on Band Books Week. It's looking like September 23rd through September 29th. I did share a website to our Facebook page uh, that kind of gives you an idea as to what the band books are and things of that nature. So, and, and that is a very holy week for Libro Traficantes because so, band books is terrible. Read a book. Exactly. I mean, internet technology is great, but always, always, always read a book. At least one a month, I would say. When Fahrenheit... 451 is actually coming out on one of the uh, cable shows as really? well. They're doing a rendition of it too, the Bradbury uh, book. And you know, uh, I actually found a book on Cesar Chavez uh, uh, not that long ago, so I'm going to start reading that. And, oh, excellent. I'm actually, well, hey, I mean, if we're dropping names of books I'm reading, <laughs> I, I, I'm rereading Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House. And of course, he talks a lot about how the anti immigrant movement was was kind of built into the DNA of the Trump campaign by Bannon and, and some of those other uh, xenophobic folks. But I'm reading between that one and Russian Roulette as well, which is mind-blowing too. So so yeah. read a book and, and hey, l- let's end by, by saying don't ban books. Actually, Trump tried to ban Fire and Fury. Only made it more popular. Hey, this is Tony Diaz and Libre Tafica. They're surrounded by the crew. Hey, crew, say bye. Bye. Adios. Adios. Adios, bye. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week, and I'll see you tomorrow at AMA. Ciao. Bye.
TuneIn app, available for both Apple and Android, and then search for KPFT. You'll see both the FM channel and the newly improved HD3 channel. Press play and you're listening, or point your browser to kpft.org. Listening online means no more reception issues. Tune in our mix of local social justice shows and music selected with love by our Houston DJs. All there on your phone at any time.